welcome to Oakham Bros. This is Eric. I'm Michael, and if you want to learn about the secrets of the universe, the law of attraction, mysticism, brohood, gambling, movies, pop culture, archangels, magic, good food, business, health, family, and mediumship, smash that subscribe button, hit the thumbs up, press the noti icon, and spread this video around like peanut butter and jelly. So today we have on uh, Dana Bluen, a uh, supervillain YouTuber and entrepreneur. Uh, supervillain. First, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you, Dana. But live from Bangkok, I might add. Yeah, yeah from Bangkok. That's, that's so explain to us why supervillain. Uh, th there's a few reasons to it. Um, so uh, you guys know I know Suburban Bear Josh, who was on here before. That's how oh, I hooked man. up with you guys. You know what I've uh, learned? I've learned that everybody knows the beard. Yes. Everybody. <laughs> I have a photo of us. I will send it to you guys of me and him with almost no beards. I'd love to see that. I'd it was the last time I was back in Ohio. I was, uh, I, I think it was like my first year in Bangkok and I was back in Ohio. Him and I went out in almost no beards. We took a photo in his car. I still have it. And um, it. it's a great photo. And uh, awesome. but he and I used to work together in, uh, at a, a telecom company. And uh, he was in sales and he, he was crushing it. And I was an engineer. And, you know, at the time, like uh, at LinkedIn, everyone was like, uh, like CRM ninja or like business development superhero. I was like, forget this stuff, man. Supervillain, straight up supervillain. Love it. And, uh, yeah, I moved to Bangkok and I started my own businesses. And I just I didn't need to have like an impressive like LinkedIn profile. And so the whole supervillain thing kind of stuck. And uh, it's just fun. It's something to have fun with. And Dan if you, Dana, you, so you're from Ohio, correct? No, originally Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Oh, it's you're, even better. That, that, even, yeah. that even segues into my qu next question. So you go Rhode Island to Ohio, right? Cleveland, correct? Uh, Cleveland, yeah. All so right. uh, sorry actually, the, yeah. I'm it's sorry a, about the rounds. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it it feels more natural if they're losing. Um, <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, so actually, so Rhode Island, I grew up in Rhode Island. I lived in uh, Massachusetts, North Carolina, California, uh, then back to Rhode Island. Then I ended up in uh, Ohio and I was there for a few years and then Bangkok. Okay. So that, that's, that was basically, I mean, it's not really my question, but like you went, you know, you traveled all over the U S you ended up in Ohio and then you just went to Bangkok. Like why not Texas? Or, you know, why not Alberta, Canada? Like, why on the other side of the earth? Uh, so, well, I, I'll start by saying, and I, I firmly believe Bangkok is the greatest city in the world. Wow. Really? I, I know pe people argue New York, San Francisco, statement, man. Paris. Yeah. Nothing beats Bangkok. And I love Bangkok so much that when I was working in Malaysia, I would commute to Kuala Lumpur from Bangkok. My God. So explain why. What is what is so great about Bangkok? Because like this is this is like a, another planet for us. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I got to give a little bit of backstory with that if it's okay. Please go, go for it. Go, go, go for it. So, 2006, I, I took my first trip to Asia. Uh, I went to Singapore for a few days, and then I spent 45 days in Cambodia, traveling around, seeing stuff. And Cambodia is so Singapore is like a, a cyberpunk future city. Singapore is this island city, island state, city state in the middle of Asia, just south of uh, Johor Bahru, Malaysia. 
it is the most modern city you will ever be be in. It it blows Tokyo out of the water, uh, Beijing, Guangzhou, China. None of them compare in modern lifestyle to Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Singapore, I believe, right now it's like number one on the most expensive cities in the world index. It's it's insane. They have and they also it's like it's very cyberpunk, like um, like uh, Blade Runner, right? Because you have these amazing you know postmodern skyscrapers steel and glass everywhere beautiful roads sidewalks merged with this old you know sort of chinese malay culture of like these hawker stall street food vendors that are set up everywhere and you know people riding bikes around and it's it just it's a wild place like conceptually to envision mm-hmm. and w- then you realize most of this island is man-made they reclaimed a lot of that land by filling it in with sand and expanding the city over and over again so I, that's my first place in Asia. I spent two, two or three days there. I can't remember. And then I hop a flight to Cambodia a couple hours away. And Phnom Penh, I remember my flight lands on the runway of the international airport in Phnom Penh. And you walk off of the plane onto the runway and they just escort a group of passengers into the terminal to go to immigration. So like you're literally in this scorching sun you know, 100 plus degrees, 100% humidity, walking across a tarmac into immigration, like no, no, uh, no slipway, nothing, no air con, you're just straight in. And you get out of immigration and Phnom Penh is like the Wild West, right? There is a brothel on every corner. Uh, my first night there, I, I got stuck in the middle of a gunfight outside of two clubs at like three really? in the morning. Oh my, yeah, my, my second night there, two, uh, two prostitutes at a club tried to drug me. And uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I was so big and it just didn't work on me as quickly as I think they were hoping, I probably wouldn't have made it out. Oh uh, so, yeah, th- this all types of wild stuff in Cambodia. Cambodia is the Wild West. Uh, fast forward. So I go back to the U.S. and like I've got this like mind blowing experience. Like I remember sitting you know, back at work at the telecom company. I worked for the same company in Rhode Island and Ohio. And I remember sitting there like just thinking back to, to Cambodia, right? Like this crazy like otherworldly experience and you know i went all over i was in you know uh pranam pen kempat uh batambang and uh cm rep where angkor wat is all the ancient ruins and it's just a wild experience and out of this world in so many ways i can't explain but so i I've always had this like this experience in the back of my mind and so you know i go i go to graduate school and uh you know i'm working and uh, you know i'm I'm still thinking, always thinking back. And so I, I get to this point in my career. I've been in Ohio for a few years and I, yeah, I was just sick of being an engineer and it was a great job. Don't get me wrong. It's just a very toxic culture at the company Josh and I worked at and it, it just, something wasn't quite right. And so, you know, I, I'm like, all right, what can I do to, to get out of this? How can, how can I escape? And I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, you know, quit my job. Maybe I'll go do a PhD. I'll I'll move to Asia. You know, and I had been back a few times and I'd been to Thailand. I'd been to Bangkok and there's something just so magical about the city that, you know, when I started applying to a PhD programs, like I'll apply to Hong Kong, to Singapore, to Bangkok, a couple in Europe. And when I got into, you know, PhD program in Bangkok, I was like gone, quit my job, sold my house, sold my cars. A PhD in what? A PhD uh, in what? information communications technology. Okay, it's incredible. And uh, so you know, like boring, like geeky stuff. I won't get into it too much, but 
uh, you know, I, you know, pack up halfway around the world. I have one luggage, a backpack and uh, my lag. And, you know, it was eight years ago. Oh, so you've been there for, you've been there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your, what's your day job, your night job, your alter ego? Like what is, what is it that you actually do to, um, to survive? Cause I know you have dapper villains, right? You have a show mm-hmm. called dapper villains and then you have your YouTube show, which is called idea, idea uh, studio, idea studio. What, it, what, you know, how does that all tie into what you do? So, uh, I'm, I have a design studio, which is where I'm at right now. Just uh, if I can spin the camera a bit, I'll sure. show you. Uh, so some, some of the fabric we're working with, uh, you can see my wife over here on one of the sewing machines. Uh, you can see this one behind me, a couple others. And then down this way, there's even more. Wow. So uh, if I, see if I can get myself centered back here. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. So, um, so yeah, I have the design studio. Dapper Villains is not only a show; we have a, a menswear brand as well that goes along with that. Very nice. So, uh, we we started out. I was working on the the menswear brand for Dapper Villains last year. Sorry, 2019, and you know, putting together the pieces, putting together what what the collection would look like, and you know, that the situation that happened that has us all staying at home and, you know, doing other stuff hit. And so we sort of pivoted to designing fabric masks. And my wife and I saw someone selling a a really crappy polyester fabric mask on the side of the sky train, which is like uh, our elevated train here in Bangkok. It runs down the, uh, the main runs right through the city. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting off at the stop we live at and we see this person selling for like $10, 10 us, these fabric masks that we know won't work. And my wife also has a, a background in, in science. She was a, a nutritional researcher at one of the universities here. And before she also has, we, we have the design studio together, but she also has a, another business related to a craft and she's, she does a knit embroidery, uh, crochet, stuff like that. And so we saw this and we're like, oh, these, these masks, one, they're not really functional to the polyester is not a a fabric that will filter particulate. So we we talking about it on the way home. And uh, so in Thailand, we have these things called songtels. So we live kind of deep into our, our neighborhood. And so they have these little pickup trucks that are converted to have two rows of seats. And you sort of just jump in the back. It's like six bot, which is maybe... 30 cents right and you jump in the back of that when you get to the the side street that you live on you just hit the buzzer and jump off so we're right in the back of this and we're talking we're like well you know what would be a good fabric i was like well let's check the nhs website let's check the thai ministry of health cdc you know see what what we can find start look at patterns okay so here's a we're looking at all these japanese patterns look nice so these three patterns look good and we start to make some modifications and we're pulling them together we get the scientific data on the fabric types that are, are most protective for uh, mouth particulate. So uh, saliva particulate, things like that to prevent spread of a virus. And so we, we design one, we put it together, we mock it up and, and we just start making them available at basically cost to people here in Thailand. And then my partner from Dapper Village, Jay, is one of the co-founders. Uh, he was like, yeah, I think we could switch the outer fabric to something more sartorial and get this picked up by the rake, which is a, a large menswear e-commerce store slash magazine. 
So we, we made up a couple of very sartorial samples from some shirting. We sent it over. They really loved it. And uh, we went into production. And then Uncrate Supply, an American company, saw the mask. They reached out like, hey, can we pick this up at wholesale as well? We said yes. And then, you know, kind of snowballed. And we're in like 47 locations uh, worldwide with those masks, wow. mostly like uh, men's clothiers. And then our two big e-commerce partners, uh, The Rake and Uncrate. Do you do anything else besides masks? Yeah. So now we're, we're finishing up the line. So mask was obviously the big focus for 2020 because that's what was needed. It kept us busy. But while that was in production with our partners, we were able to start working on the development of our other products. So we have uh, right now we have a military overshirt that we made in linen that looks a lot like, uh, you know, an old army BDU uniform from like the uh, early 2000s, late 90s. And it's just kind of, it's a similar cup, but more streamlined, more minimalist. We have our samples coming this week for our new waistcoat in our denim, our second sample for the denim line that will have a, a pair of jeans that I designed as well. Wow. Uh, we're working on a couple of shirts, some hats, and a, a couple of tote bags that are in development that will be our, what we'll call our EDC tote, like our everyday carry tote that are made from a combination of Thai denim and uh, chambray fascinating i mean like could you have done this in the states though uh so yes and no um obviously my my wife is my partner i met her here so there's there's that collab that collaborative aspect to it that uh i don't think i would have met her had i not come here obviously sure um from there's some of the things we do like we the fabrics we use the the amount of I'm able to do this full time along with I have a, a podcast production studio here in the the building as well that I produce Dapper Villains and I have another show called Bangkok Strange and uh, I also do some production for clients in the U.S. and so we have you know that aspect of the company but you know the ability to scale as quickly as we did for the cost that we were able to put into it. Um, wouldn't have been feasible in the US. Like so basically because I'm in Asia, all of our machines, every sewing machine essentially is made in Asia, either China or Japan. Right? It's much cheaper for me to get them here in Thailand. Sure. I'm able to source fabrics that uh I wouldn't be able to get even at double the price in the US. And so you know there, there's aspects in access to the in, the garment industry which is located here in Asia that I couldn't have replicated in the US. How has, you know, what living with COVID like there, you know, what is it like in, in mm. the city and the streets and, you know, how, how, how has the government handled it? What's it, what's it like going on there? So uh, I can definitely say like up until recently, uh, life was very normal in, in Thailand. We locked down the country or I should say, I say we, the, the government locked the country down very early. Um, as a result, we had very few cases for all of 2020 and after the initial lockdown restaurants reopened movie theaters reopened and we would have single digit new cases daily up until up until this year we had only had i think 59 deaths total from covid and most of those had underlying issues and i think only like 2000 cases or something and wow. It was really under control, but it paid the price economically. Thailand's a country that is, is very driven by tourism. Thailand is a country that 
you know, is sort of stuck in this middle income trap. So when you look at how it affected the economy, it, it was quite devastating, especially in Bangkok, where everything sort of shut down for a while. People were working from home and a lot of industries because of culturally the way they work, uh, work from home wasn't really thought of as an option. And so there was a very quick and uncomfortable um, transition to that in in Bangkok and Thailand in general. But once we realized we had flattened the curve domestically, things started to reopen, life really started to, to get back to normal. Then just recently, we had a massive surge in new cases as a result of uh, some migrant workers who illegally crossed into Thailand from Myanmar uh, for one of the shrimp markets just south of Bangkok caused like sort of like a nexus of spread. And so now we're sort of dealing with this second spike. But luckily, it looks like the government, they, they acted very quickly. We've been doing like nationwide contact tracing since I think June or July. So I actually have an app on my phone that everywhere I go, it it tracks my location and checks me in everywhere. So it, I'm always checked into the uh, to the contact tracing database. So they were able, once they knew where the, the initial spikes came from, they were able to contact trace everyone who may have been, who may have contracted COVID. And so we saw a very big spike, like in the 900 per day, 700 per day early on. And then they flattened that. And now we're, we're seeing, I think we had 171 today, 251 yesterday. And so we're, we're in that range right now. And it's slowly going down. We're in 1200 a day, just in our county. Okay. We're, yeah. We live. We live in Nassau County and we're at 1200 a day because apparently people in Nassau County can't stay home anymore and they have to be at other people's houses. But anyway, I, so I don't we have a, we have a, a holiday in Thailand in April called Songkran. It is the biggest holiday in Thailand. It is their, so New, Year. Fourth, right? yeah, their it, New Year. It's their New Year. It, it lasts seven days and companies shut down. People go back to their hometowns. This is, the holiday if you're in like people come from all over the world to celebrate Sangran here it's wild or it can be wild depending on where you go and the government canceled Sangran wow. and not only did they cancel Sangran they banned the sale of alcohol leading up to the holiday and all through it because they're, they're basically like we don't want any parties going on like we don't want any chance of people spreading it and There's the government and it is what it is yeah. You know. It was a tough decision, but it's the type of decision that, you know, takes strong leadership. And they were basically like, look, we'll make the holidays up to you. And so basically since Sangran, they're like, okay, this is a four-day weekend. This is a four-day weekend. This is a four-day weekend. So everything's been like four-day weekends for all these holidays that they canceled, but it did the trick. It, it made it work that we have, again, like we had, there was, I think we went like 60 days with no new cases of COVID at one point. And then we had like one new case and then the, the clock started over. We went like another 40 days. Should move to Bangkok, Eric. And and like um how much like uh, I, I, I lost my train of thought, Mike. Do you have a question? I, I, do. Can, I completely I, it's it. all good. <clears throat> Why is Bangkok the greatest city in the world? Because you know, listen, we're we're born and raised in New York. Mm -hmm. And the city is like, I mean, it's New York City is it's I mean, we've been all over, especially yeah. the states. And like New York City is pretty incredible. I, I've never been to Bangkok. I've only seen it in the hangover too. Yeah. That's, that's as close as I've been to Bangkok. You know, and, and, and the hangover hangover two is a sliver of the city. Yeah. So like my question is like they paint such a bad picture of it. Like the, the, the Logan the slogan on the on the movie was Bangkok has them now, right? They went from Vegas to Bangkok. 
you know, are there monkeys running in the streets? Are there, you know, are there really like, is there, is there no law? You know, I've, we, I had a friend that opened a casino in Macau. Yeah. Um, how far is Macau from Bangkok? Macau's right next to Hong Kong. So it's four and a half hour flight. Hey, oh, hey, babe, right. babe, Hong Kong is four and a half or six hours. Three? Oh, three hours. Okay. So, so near it. Uh, it's just like New York to like Vegas or something like that. So yeah. my question is like, you know, the, the stuff he, the stories he told me about that's go, what's going on in Macau. Mm. It was, it was horrific. It was, I was, I was mortified at what they do to women there and the, the, the prostitution that's running rampant. And, um, we had someone on, um, that does, um, uh, you know, that's, a uh, talks about, uh, child, uh, child trafficking, mm-hmm. child trafficking, you know, and Eric and I are big advocates, you know, to promote this, that it's, it's not as well known as it should be. People mm-hmm. talk about, you know, the politics and bullshit of America more than they should be talking about, you know, this, what, what's, what's the depth of Bangkok? Right, like talk like Anthony yeah. Bourdain here. Yeah. So, uh, the, real quick to put into to context with Macau, Macau has a, a whole other thing going on with the triads, and then also you know the North Koreans are big in Macau with that's where they launder their money from. Oh um, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's, yeah, yeah. But Macau also has like a beautiful like this this really mac weird Macanese, which is like a Chinese Portuguese subculture. And a beautiful food, great, great city. But Bangkok is, is a city. The reason it's the greatest city, and you guys are from New York, right? New York has the Big Apple. We have the Big Mango. And, you know, I've been to New York a couple dozen times. I've never lived there, but I've been to New York City a couple dozen times. And I enjoy it. I like New York. Bangkok is all the beautiful grittiness of New York in the 1980s. But with this this modern sheen around certain parts of it, and you know, I can go, you know, I can walk down my street and have the most amazing food for a dollar, and then I can grab a beer at Seven Eleven, you know, wash it down. I can jump on a world class Sky Train that takes me all through the city, transition into a subway that takes me all around other parts of the city. You know, I'm surrounded by you know, captains of industry, you know, Michelin star street food chefs, you know, you ride around on the back of uh, scooters. That's what we use for taxis here. You jump on the back, you pay them like 80 cents and they'll take you, you know, a couple kilometers down the road to where you need to go. So this how world- much is rent? I mean, how much is rent? How much is it to buy a house there? So it, it depends. So I've lived, you know, everywhere from, so where I live now is like a 3000 square foot building. And we live upstairs. We have our studio downstairs. It's you know less than a thousand dollars a month to rent this. Uh, before we lived here, I, I had a penthouse, which was the top two floors of a high rise in the middle of the city. And it was a couple thousand dollars a month. I mean, you'd probably be paying fifty thousand dollars a month in New York City for the same place. Wow. And I, I, I had my own helipad. You know, I'd walk out into the private garden on the roof and could see the entire downtown of the city. You live like so, a king. I thought you would live like a king in Ohio, but clearly you're living like a king in Bangkok. I mean, that's that's incredible. No, no winter in in Bangkok, man. Ohio's winter like eight months a year. Really? Um, it's Ohio's rough. Cleveland's rough. Cleveland's what, rough. What time is it in Bangkok? It's eleven twenty on the East Coast right now. I'm twelve hours ahead of you. It's eleven thirty. It's like eleven twenty at night. That's not. You, you seem like a night owl, though. I, I sort of am. I shouldn't be, but I sort of am. 
So you're, I watched your videos and I sense like a, a very like, um, not, not like a spiritual, but like a very like goal oriented person. Like you, you know, you were listing your goals and uh, do you have a method to this? Do, do you believe it? Is there like a system that you use, like the law of attraction, magic? Do you, you know, are there any certain books that you read regarding yeah, any mentors or mentors yeah. to build the yeah. life? Yes, I have a lot of mentors. I know you guys are into law of attraction. I'm, I'm not so much. I've read the book, The Rules to the Law of Attraction by Jack uh, Canterfield. Is that his name? Jack Jack Canfield, yeah. Yeah, Canfield. And uh, I, I mean, there's this is the thing. It's like it's not the the methodology that he puts forward isn't for me, but I see value in the idea, in the underlying underpinnings of that concept, like this idea of. You know, you can, if you're confident, you really can project your own success, right? And so I do work every day at, at my confidence and be able to project what I want and and go after it. But I, I have had a lot of mentors over the years. Um, one of my one of my good friends in Malaysia who became a, a very close mentor to me, my friend Dash, who founded uh, Startup Malaysia. Um, you know, and he he's very he's a unique guy. He's probably about 15 years older than me. And uh, he's very spiritual and uh, in the way that he looks at things, he has a very kind of like almost guru-esque sense to him and uh, like learning from him about like, he's like 10 years ahead of me. And before I had this design studio, I was in the startup space. I had, you know, six years ago, I had a wearable tech company that didn't work out. And then I worked for a fleet analytics company uh, here in Bangkok as their chief data scientist. I'm still on their, their board but I don't have a, a day-to-day role in the company anymore. And then I had a, a biometric analysis company that we we're fortunate and able to exit. So, you know, I, I've had ups and downs in the startup space. Uh, and even before, like going back to the nineties, I, I started with my first company, which is funny. Like back then I, I sold that company and didn't make any money. You know, me and my partners were like, you know, made bad deals. We didn't understand fundraising. We didn't really understand equity and cap tables and, you know, you have a, a seven-figure exit, and you're looking at your your five thousand dollar check. Like, what, what's going on? You know. Right. Um. So this, you know, you learn along the way. But yeah, very goal oriented. I write every day, and I find that when I write every day, it helps me to one reflect on everything I've done, put it into perspective, but then also to have a better vision of my progress and my planning. And, you know, I think like um, with the, the law, the thing in the law of attraction that, like I said, the underlying, the psychological underlyings of it, I think are, are really interesting. But one of the uh, one of the pieces in the book where Jack Canfield talks about is uh, the visualization. And I, I've always found real power in visualization uh, for, uh, personally. Right. And I don't know, like, do I relate it back to that or, or is there some other aspect to it? But, you know, visualizing visualizing you know what you want and how you're going to do it and understanding the uh the probabilities like in in the business world you talk about like a SWOT analysis right like looking at your your strengths weaknesses threats and opportunities visualization is essentially a very personal form of that and being able to visualize all of the potential threats every potential outcome and uh I don't know if, if you guys follow uh, MMA, if you know who Conor McGregor is. Of course. Yeah, and he's a big – he's fighting this weekend, him, him against Dustin Portier. I'd be very interested in seeing that fight. Um, so actually, Conor's going to win. I mean, you know, it's no I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I honestly – I would 
If I was a betting man, I would put money on Portia. Okay. I called uh, you a betting man. And I, I used to be a – actually, I was a professional fighter like 18 years ago. Really? 18? Yeah. How, and if I ask how old, how old you are? 76. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I just turned uh, 42. Hey, all right. That's my age. Nice. Right. Yeah, I you. I thought you were ten years younger than me. Really, Bangkok, I thought you were ten years younger than me. <laughs> At Bangkok water. I have a question regarding you talking about visualization. What, like the Dapper Villains brand? Um, where do you want that to go? What is your what's your goal with that? And and what what does it like kind of offer people? What is the lifestyle? Because I'm sensing that it's more of like a lifestyle brand. What mm -hmm. is who is who is a dapper villain? Sure, that's a great question, and I've spent a lot of time visualizing, you know, where the future of dapper villains is, even from the beginning. And actually, oddly enough, uh, Josh was my original partner with Dapper Villains, like years and years ago, and we were playing around with it, and we didn't really have anything serious to do with it. And then he started doing the suburban beard thing, and uh, he was doing that, and so Dapper Villains didn't do anything for years and years, and when I was after like the exit and when I, I got into the, the design studio, I was like, well, you know, I want to bring this back as a brand. So I, I reached out to Josh and I was like, well, not reach out. We talk every day. So it's not like I was like, hey, buddy, how are you been? It's like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this with, you know, Dapper Villains. How would you feel about it? And, you know, of course, he's like, go ahead, dude. If you can make it work, make it work. We had fun with it, but right. all you. And you know, what I visualize it as is kind of someone who fits where I fit in the menswear world where I'm not, I'm, I'm a 40 year old dude. I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to be a hype beast and buy like Supreme drops and all this stuff and be like the, the slickest guy on streetwear. But I also, I'm at a point in my life and I would like to think I've had a few successes that allow me to not have to live in the sartorial world of menswear where I don't have to wear a tie every day. I don't want to wear a suit. I don't want to wear a jacket. And so I'm making clothes that fit that vision or designing clothes that fit that vision. And it's things that I can wear when I go out and I can still look better than most people feel fantastic, but have the, the panache, if you will, that, that I envision a dapper villain would have. And if you think bond villain, right? Someone who has that really elevated style, but knows how to break just the right rules. Do you have any like samples? Do you have any pictures of, you know, like models uh, wearing your, your wear? So we don't have pictures yet. Let me see what we have for samples. Do I have? The if you don't have it. I don't, you know, don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have it. But I, I've got a few, I've got a few things here. I can actually hold up and show you if you want. Yeah, hold yeah, on. Yeah. One second. Yeah, sure. I'm curious to know if he's like six, four, six, five, you know, he's a big dude. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, like all the stuff in the background. You want to move to Pang Bangkok? I mean, yes. You would I, be yeah. like royalty I there. I've never spoken to anyone from Bangkok before. I think like yeah. I'm like this is the first time I've ever talking to someone like directly from Bangkok. Right. Like yeah. you can eat a meal for a dollar. I mean, yeah, and I'll bet you it's all like no GMO shit that we have here in the state. Oh, no, it's just a completely different world. Like, would you like some rat sewer pie? Sewer rat pie. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't know. I wouldn't know what to eat. You know, 
I, I follow what's his name, Casey Stern, who's a uh, vegetable police. He was living in Thailand. I mean, Bourdain was there, you know, a hundred times. They all love it. People yeah. never heard anyone go, I'm never going back there. Right. right? The bad thing you saw was like on the hangover too, or people like, you well, know, I mean, that was a movie. Movies are real, bro. Movies are real, bro. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, that's fascinating. And he's all tatted up too. It's like the complete opposite of me. Yep. Right, like tattoos. Both living in have, both of you have lived forty-two years yeah. in completely different. <laughs> I mean, I just <laughs> never been to Bangkok. He has multiple tattoos, and he lives in Bangkok. I mean, just incredible. Um, the just varying degrees of what people do. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I want to see your tats too, Dana. Also, I want to see those tats. Also, I mean, we're we're the same age. Eric and I just had a, com- a very interesting conversation. We had a show within a show. <laughs> and they're like, you know, both of you and Michael have been on the planet for 42 years. And like, Michael went this way, you went that yeah. way. I don't and have a tattoo, and I live in Long Island. And like, you know, we've never left our zip code. Yeah, per- basically. And like, here you are. I, I, if, do you have pictures or no? If you don't, of the, my tattoos or of the, the goods? I mean, good. first, I want to see your tats after. I, you know, I'm covered in tats. My back, my full back, my chest, everything. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living vicariously through you, even though we're the same age. <laughs> All right, so I'll start with uh, the mask, which has been our breakout item. So here, sure. here's the mask. And I'll open this up so you can see. This is based on a, uh, a Korean design. And it's a single piece of fabric. So, cool. But it's sewn into three flaps. It's like a band. So there, yeah. yeah so, so there's no seam down the middle. Night band. Yeah. My, my wife's going to bed. <laughs> Good night. And so there's there's a notch here for the nose and this, and we have adjustable elastic uh, mm-hmm. air hoops. So I'll throw this on. Fits. Fits perfectly. And so I have a fat face, so it kind of fits just enough. But what we did was we made this mask so that it could fit my wife's very petite face as well as anyone with a face as big as mine. If you don't have a beard that pushes it up. Right. But it's washable. We have some samples that have been used over a hundred times and they hold up. So it's cool. It's been a very successful product for us for a reason. Right. So yeah, we've shipped uh, almost a hundred thousand of these worldwide. Very nice. It's incredible. Where could you get them in the States? Uh, Uncrate Supply would be you, they have the I believe they have the black, the pink, and the the indigo in stock. You're not doing any direct to consumer, not right now. When we launch the because with the mask, it's it's a it's not a huge dollar item, and shipping directly from Bangkok is not cheap. Right. So our minimum ship our minimum shipping cost is about $25. So we can't sell a $20 item and charge $25 to ship it. You got to ship like 10,000 of them to beard. And yeah, distribution center. center. I mean, like, you know, are you, so you're not on Amazon. No, not right now. So we, we haven't launched any products other than the mask yet. And so because of the very niche market that we attract with, which is like this, this niche between streetwear and sartorial wear, that our customers fit in people like the rake, which is a high-end menswear site carry us or uncrate wanted to carry the same mask. We made the special all black version for them. 
Right. And so we made the pink and we made the uh, the indigo for them. Interesting. So here's the patches that we put into stuff. It's uh, the colors colors aren't coming across great. But this is a purple patch with uh, our logo. The it's gentleman awesome. with with the bat and the baller, the uh, bowler hat. Yeah, that's awesome. So here is uh, our first denim sample. I don't think I've shown anyone live these yet. So this is a ultra dark indigo. This is Thai denim. Right. And these are these would end up being these aren't my size or else I would put them on. But these are a high rise, uh, slight taper on the leg. And it's kind of made to be this, again, a jean that that you can wear essentially with a, a sport coat or you can wear it very casually. It comes up much higher than the traditional low rise like a Wrangler would. And it fits more like a, a classic men's trouser would. And it's sort of mocking that idea of the classic trouser by matching it with the, the indigo and the denim. And actually, the final version of this will be made from a, a special denim that we sourced here in Thailand that is woven. Uh, so denim has two threads, the warp and the weft. And so the weft on this denim is actually linen, and the warp is the indigo dyed cotton. And so it becomes a very light, airy fabric, but still has body like denim does. You really, you, I mean, you're... I have a question, I have a question Mike. So like, you went to school for like, computers basically and that was like your career how are you creating menswear yeah i've always had a um i've just always had a passion for design and my wife was and my wife was a nutritionist right and her her passion was creating things with a uh, knit crochet and now she studied at the uh, the thai royal academy she's a you know studied embroidery there and uh, we just, I, I started sewing. I, I really wanted to do something more creative. And, you know, I was getting tired of doing research about like uh, moving bits across the internet. I bought a sewing machine and bought some patterns and I figured it out. And I was like, okay, I need some help. I went and took a, uh, some sewing classes and my wife joined me. We took sewing classes together. And I was like, yeah, I, this is great. And I, I can really create the things I have in my mind. So we just started to ramp up. We bought a few more machines. We, you know, I, the, the table I'm at right now is a custom cutting table that I had made for, for us to work at and, you know, start to make connections and, and realize different things. And, you know, just, it sort of spun out of control and it turned into what it is. That's like we problem. moved, we, we moved out of a penthouse so we could double our space and uh, ramp up our business. And uh, it's worked out fantastic. Great. So, so I, I have a couple of the samples here real quick. Let me show you. Uh, so this one is this one actually is not going to be a production sample, but we're having this remade. But this is a, a men's waistcoat made with a purple chambray and a skull liner. And it's got so it's no sleeves. It's just a waistcoat. And it's got a, a notch lapel on it. And the whole idea is that, you know, the chambray is sort of chambray is very similar in texture to denim, right? But instead of having a a, a one-two warp weft pattern, it's got a one-to-one. -one. So it has a little bit of the nap, and the design is actually based on an old like a uh, 1800s hunting vest that you would have seen in like the Midwest, right? Where it's a little bit more functional. And so I found these uh, these old patterns for these old menswear thing, old menswear waistcoats, and you know in that time, like in the Wild West, it'd be what you're wearing all the time is like you've got to wear that out to the the ranch and you've got to wear that out to dinner, right? So it's got to be something that's multifunctional. 
So, you know, we brought, brought back the double welt pockets. We went with a five button, you know, high V with the, the lapel to give it a more finished look. And then instead of using a classic wool or linen that you would see on a sartorial piece, we used the chambray cotton, which is something that would never be used in sartorial clothing. And it gives it a more casual feel. And it, it sort of mocks the idea that this is a, a, a formal wear item. Are you on TikTok, bro? No, I'm not. Why? Holy cow. Like you, I you're, gonna, you're, I gonna that. You could be you could be feeding us a lo- a line of baloney, right? You could be like the Chambro, the one on one, the, the, the and Eric and I'd be like, wow, that's fascinating. But dude, you could become literally like legit the authority of Oh no, you don't understand. You could become you could have a reach of fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people within a week. Really? If you play TikTok the right way, like mm. I've I've been making posts and it's it's original content as compared mm. to the podcast. So I'm I, I sometimes I'll take clips from our show and I'll post it on there, but most of the times it's on my channel and mm. I'm just saying like sarcastic jokes or tidbits or law of attraction mm. or stuff like that. And I really just started about a week ago. One of my posts um is is approaching fifty thousand views. Oh wow. And that's getting more subs to the YouTube channel. We're getting more subs to the YouTube channel. And not only that, it was 10 seconds. Wow. Yeah. I uh I did a po- Eric, I haven't spoken to you today about this, but um I did a post about uh going to a gas station and if I put a credit card in the at the pump and it says see cashier, I just fucking leave. And it's mm-hmm. just it's a quip. It's like the way I feel. Like I don't want to pump a gas if it says see cashier. And I got like ten thousand views and people are commenting, and the engagement on TikTok is perfect. It's ridiculous. Really? It, there's no, no yeah. one anything negative. If the, you take one thing from this show is 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 get on um you should get on TikTok because you awesome. yeah like but like people would be interested in the Bangkok lifestyle and how and your the dapper villain brand and how you dress. I wouldn't walk to TikTok. I would run to TikTok. Print, Eric. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 as soon as we get off, I'll download it. Download it and start yeah. your channel and email Eric and I what your channel is because we want to subscribe. And like you have you have like a you have a look, you know right. what I mean? And it's and it's um it's it's so different that it could work. It's it's so crazy, it just might work. Right? <laughs> I'll definitely I'll give it a shot. So I got one more sample or oh, two more samples to show you. Samples, Dan. I want to see some tats, bro. I want to see again, I'm living vicariously through you. All right, so real real quick then. This is the uh this is the uh, linen overshirt based on the old army military BDU. And so you cool. would just, this is a four, fourth pocket. It's all wrinkled, but this is made from, uh, I can't even hold it up. It's not wide enough. But any, anyway, it's a, it looks like a BDU shirt, but it's made of linen. It's very drapey, very soft. And then last one, this is our EDC tote. And this is something I worked on for a year on the design. So this is a denim tote bag that is made from thai salvage denim inside it's got the purple chambray with the dapper Vinans logo some buttons the straps go all the way down integrate into the bottom panel so these are actually reinforced here and then this handle is made from two separate pieces of canvas with a cotton rope inside and what it does is the rope shapes the canvas so that it fits in your hand perfectly you get that that round shape but it also it gives it body, and when the line denim with the uh, the the handle like this, it, it it feels like such a heavy, such a sturdy bag. And I actually put my uh, hundred pound kettlebell inside this. 
and well, I'm lying, my 48 kilogram kettlebell inside of this and I uh, hung it outside for a couple days. It didn't bust a single steam. Really? You're, yeah. you're, a, kettle, you're a kettlebell guy? Yeah. I love kettlebells. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, me too. I'm obsessed. Yeah, every my, my my workouts every day. Of course, I, I do bicep curls every day because every day is arm day. Uh, and so I have I have some uh, dumbbells right next to my desk. And so usually I'll stop every like uh, I try to stop every hour, but in reality I, I might you know blow through that and do like ninety minutes of work and then are you, you know, shredded? Are you shredded? Are you like I'm not not anymore? I'm a, I'm a big dude, but I'm not shredded. I need to lose some kilos, but um. You know, I'll bang out every hour, every hour and a half. I'll bang out 20 reps with the, uh, I think I've got some 20 kilo uh, dumbbell over there. I'll do 20 reps. I'll do 20 overhead presses. But every day I jump rope. I try to jump rope for an hour. I do like one minute, one minute of jump rope, 10 seconds rest. And I'll do uh, another minute of some other exercise, either punching the bag or, or swinging kettle, uh, Indian clubs, whatever. That's awesome. Uh, I do kettlebell swings. Uh, and that, that's basically the extent of my working out. I don't do... You know, the 48 kilo kettlebells as heavy as I go. I don't, you know, I don't like, uh, do any, any like super heavy lifting anymore. Right. That's incredible. It was, so were you, you would do it uh, real quick before we get to the tats. You were in MMA? Like you, yeah, uh, I was an MMA fighter, uh, at heavy. I was a heavyweight. Um, I was, a, I was a, a submission grappler prior to that. Right. So I did a lot of submission grappling. I never planned to fight MMA. And what happened was a heavyweight fight fell through on a card that one of my teammates was fighting for a title on. And so the, the guy who was putting the card together out in Massachusetts called my coach and was like, Hey, uh, any heavyweights at the school that, that will take this fight. And it was, it was a guy who I've seen fight a few times. So he had some experience and my, my coach was like, Dana is the only guy. Uh, and I don't know if he wants to fight. I don't think so. And he's like, well, if Dana would fight, that'd be great because, you know, a lot of people knew who I was because I had won a lot of grappling tournaments. So my coach asked me, I was like, ah, I'm not sure. And uh, he's like, ah, it's like, you know, I think it was like 400 or something. It's like, you do it, you know, at least Dan's fate will still go on. Like, there's no threat of the car getting canceled. So I took the fight and uh, my first fight, and I was so nervous. I remember like, you know, as soon as you, I put my cup on, I'm like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. My coach is like, no, no, no. Like, just relax. You know, like I was, I didn't, I didn't, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And I ended up winning in like 12 seconds uh, and knocked the guy unconscious. And uh, actually, I remember I knocked him unconscious. I still had in my head that I had to go to the bathroom. I, and we fought in a ring, not a cage. So as soon as I knocked him out and the ref stopped it, I, I stood up and I turned around. And I started walking towards the edge of the ring and I'm trying to get out to go to the bathroom. My coach is like, no, you have to wait. <laughs> oh my God. I got to tell you one time uh, I did an arm bar on a guy um, mm. and I snapped his arm out of his thing. It was on, it was on UFC on the, my Xbox one video <laughs> game. Uh, that, that's as close as I came to ever grappling with anyone was through, I think I was playing as Lyoto, Lyoto Machida. Oh, Lyoto Machida, yeah. Yeah, I think I was him for that one fight. Um, but again, just it's incredible. <laughs> I actually, I had my uh, actually, I had my arm dislocated at the elbow once, stuck in an arm bar trying to escape. And uh, I, it, it, you could hear. It's funny because you hear it like slowly grinding, and then you start to hear these pops as like these. Uh, I don't know if it's your tendons like popping off or whatever, but it's like pop, pop, pop. But it doesn't hurt. And uh, luckily, like as my opponent heard it popping, he sort of eased up, and I was able to spin around and get out and choke him. So, if I stub my toe, I'm out of commission for a week. <laughs> Bangkok 
uh, Dana doesn't bow to Bangkok. Bangkok bows to Dana. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was a long time ago. Long, actually, you guys know who Joe Lozon is? No. He's a no. UFC fighter. He's been, I think at one point he was, he held the record for like most finishing bonuses or most fight of the night bonuses. Uh, he's like a wiry kid from Boston and or from, I think he's from Bridgewater actually, but before he was in the UFC, like years and years before this and uh, before I ever fought, and he's a lightweight. Keep this in mind. We ended up in the uh, the same like absolute division at a grappling tournament. And um, we end up in the first round paired off against each other. And I knew who he was. He knew who I was. I knew who he was. And uh, I knew how good he was. He was phenomenal. And I'd seen him like beat a bunch of guys who would give a lot of people trouble. And uh, it's a little, little tiny guy. And I remember I was so pissed that I got matched with him in the first round because I was literally the biggest guy in the tournament and he was the smallest guy in the tournament. And uh, I ended up, I tried to throw him. I tried to like hip toss him and I just wasn't fast enough. And he ends up like, uh, as we're going down to the ground, he gets behind me and I end up, we end up on the ground and I, I'm able to roll and get into his guard. And he throws a triangle on me so quick and I remember trying to stand up. And by the time I'm standing up, his little skinny legs had wrapped all the way into the uh, like the crevices of my neck and my arm. I was almost unconscious. I just tapped out in time to like stay awake. How tall are you? Uh, six one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying this because we're about 10,000 miles away, but I want to arm wrestle you when I see you. Okay. 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 All right. I'm down. I can beat you. Take it easy, bro. That bag, I want that bag. I think my wife would really like that denim bag. So you know what? I'm gonna talk about for you. Okay. Okay. So uh, where can people find you, Dana? Where um where can uh, where can they look you up? Tell us about your shows. Tell us about everything that you got going on. Yeah. So I mean, uh, Idea Studio on YouTube is where I just do a lot of you know exploring ideas, talking about design, the, the whole concept of the channel. I used to do a lot more entrepreneurship content on there. And then I sort of took a few years off because I was, I was working on other things and uh, I came back. And so the channel is really, you know, exploring ideas through the lens of design and looking at design and how that fits into the world of, uh, you know, of these different concepts and ideas. And of course, Bangkok plays a major role in that channel as, as a character, almost like, you know, like you can't escape, like. I, I feel like, you know, Bangkok and me are sort of like intertwined on this cosmic level that, uh, you know, I can't escape. Love that. And then, uh, yeah, I have a, uh, obviously Dapper Villains, the brand, we have dappervillains.com, but we also have a podcast where, you know, we talk to other designers and other people in the, the fashion industry about, you know, their takes on design and what they do. And, you know, sometimes we just talk to, like, we talk to um, Old Man Saxon, he's a rapper um justin hunt who's a hip-hop journalist is a good friend of mine from la we had him on the show uh you know just like we uh uh what's his name uh the guy who created dilbert i can't think of his name oh at God, the moment scott, scott i just scott scott well, adams scott adams yes we had him on the show which was you know it was just kind of out of left field i saw him post something on linkedin and i was like oh let me ask him if he'll do the show and he's like what he's like what do you guys talk about and i, I told him he was like yeah whatever i'll do it and, but he was super cool. I mean, and then it was after the fact I started to see he was posting all this like sort of right wing stuff. And I was like, yeah, some, some of it's a little crazy, but I, he didn't get into that on the show. And uh, he was like, we got, it's funny. I get a lot of slack for that, that episode, but you know, like 
he just answered the questions we asked him. He talked about his experience. So like, that's all I asked the guests to do. Like, I'm not judging their opinions. You know, I'm sure you guys don't either. Like you have people on like who might think different things. And as the host, it's like, yeah, the talk about it. And like, he, we asked him about menswear and about like how he dresses and his successes in business. And he talked about all of it. He told this crazy story about getting stuck out on the highway and almost freezing to death. And at that moment decided I'm moving to California. Because he's from, I think he's from Syracuse, is what he was talking about. I don't know, but there's definitely a modern day McCarthyism uh, that's, you know, you can't, you have to be very careful with who you're associated with. And, mm. you know, it's, it is what it is. This is the sign of the times. Yeah. And so, you, uh, you know, he was a cool, it was a great guest. And then we've had, you know, like some, some very popular designers on and, you know, just interesting people, like fun people to talk to. And uh, we were trying to get, for a long time, we were trying to get uh, the rapper Jadena on. And uh, kept trying to reach out, and no one responded to our email. So we're like, "I oh, will come back to it later." <laughs> but right. that that shows on hiatus uh, until probably the end of the month because uh, we're working we're working so much on the line. And then uh, Bangkok Strange is another podcast I do with my buddy Mike, just talking about most of the time we don't even talk about anything, just like random Bangkok stuff. What's your uh, just before we sign off? What's uh, the most prized tattoo? Most prized tattoo. It's in an un, unmentionable area. You know, don't you don't have to show it. Your most prized tat tattoo you can show us right now. <laughs> so I've got a couple. I mean, so I've got uh, three tattoos. What's that? Top three tattoos. Top three. So I've got uh, the little th uh, thread snippers here on my arm, cool. which I, I really like that tattoo. Um, then. I've got oh so this this is a traditional Thai tattoo called the Sakyat. Okay. And uh that's one of my one of my favorites. It's just in a cool spot. And so, then pineapple. Yeah, I got a pineapple on here. And then uh on the other SpongeBob side. You're a SpongeBob guy, is that why? No, I, I just like fruit, right? And uh so fruit in Thailand is on another level. Like really? like you have like I, I thought I had I thought I had eaten mangoes and watermelon and all these fruit before i came to thailand like you have no idea how good the fruit is i actually want to get a piece of watermelon but all my tattoos are black and gray and uh i didn't think it would look as good to have like a black and gray piece of watermelon but the pineapple translates well so it, it has to it has to be the fit the stand-in for the uh the fruit on my tattoos um and then oh i so i have a, a big sakyan on my chest so my whole chest is tattooed edge to edge and so actually like edge to edge all the way down my shoulders and my whole back but I have a really big, uh, like classic tiger sakya on my chest that I, I really like. What, what and, is uh, it was, sakya? I'm I'm sorry. Uh, also, uh, sakya is a uh, a type of Thai tattoo, a type of Thai tattoo design. Okay. And so it's like that that turtle one is, you can kind of see it's got a I weird. And so they have like uh these sort of. The, the idea is that they have like these sort of uh, powers to them, right? A lot of people believe that the, these tattoos have powers. Um, cool. I'm personally just a fan of the art. And uh, so I have, I, it's funny, I have one on my back that's supposed to make me immortal. And I just, I really like the design. And the guy who did it is like, oh, you know, this makes you immortal. I was like, I guess we'll find out eventually. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there's ones that are supposed to protect you from being stabbed or get you money or, or make it so that you marry someone beautiful. But, you know, you'll see a lot of Muay Thai fighters have them. A lot of, uh, you know, they have different meanings. But, yeah, the, the one on my chest I really like because it's very big and graphic. And um, it was, like, the first, like, really big chest piece I got. And, uh, you know, it's just, like, it's a special tattoo to me. 
Dana, you've lived a lot of life, man. Really appreciate you coming on Orkin Bros. Fascinating yeah. stories. I mean, really, really incredible. Um, proud to call you our friend. And yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. I had a great time, guys. Yeah, thanks. no, we had a ball. And please, like, you know, stay in touch. This is your yeah. platform if you need anything. Any new lines dropping on Dapper Villains, you know, we'd love to have you on again. That was uh, awesome. Exciting. Thank you. Yeah, and if you guys ever come out to Bangkok, let me know and I'll, uh, I'll show yeah, you around. Perfect. I will. I will guarantee you. You will be our first call the minute we look. <laughs> Everybody, do you guys know what soy cowboy is? Soy cowboy. No. <laughs> is that an oxymoron? No, so soy. No, no. Soy. S O I is the word, Thai word oh. for street. All right. Right. No, it's a soy cowboy is a little road between soy's twenty one and twenty three in a neighborhood called Asok. It's one of the red light districts in Thailand, and it's a. Uh, it's basically, I would say, a hundred meters, and that one hundred meters makes like Las Vegas, Amsterdam, everything look like Disneyland. Wow! By comparison, it's just like you could walk down there. Like it's funny whenever we have friends come to visit, my my, they'll always like hint, like, "Oh yeah, we want to see Soy Cowboy," or or they won't say it. And well, my wife and I will always walk them down there. Yeah. And uh, like if you walk down at night, it's crazy. There's girls out in front of the bars. Is you know, I'll tell you, see all types of crazy stuff, but if I really want to mess with someone's head, I'll say like, let's walk down there at dusk because there's still enough sunlight that it reveals the truth of what's going on. Like you see all the girls doing their makeup. You can sort of see, there's a reason these places open at night and not during the day. I will mention that Eric and I would probably need a hall pass to go to Soy Cowboy, <laughs> but I do not think that our, uh, our wives would be down for that unless they came with us. I, I mean, I will take you to uh, I'll, I'll take you to this really good restaurant on Soy Twenty Three. Oh, uh, is it by Soy Cowboy? We might have to cut through That's to fine. save a couple minutes on the walk. That's fine. I, that <laughs> yeah, but as long as like you know, our wives know that you know we're not going to be hanging out in Soy Cowboy. Literally, when you said that, I thought you meant S O Y. It's like Disneyland. It's fine. Like, Disneyland. <laughs> like, like Dana's going to take us to this vegetarian place called Soy Cowboy. And she Googles it. She's like, oh, hell no. I, the minute we finish this podcast, I am jumping on my phone right now to see what the F Soy Cowboy actually is. But so, you know, the scene in the hangover where they, they like were blowing stuff up that was filmed on Soy, like that's based on Soy Cowboy. All right. No, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Eric, hall pass. We're in. We're going to do a hangover uh, weekend with Dana. <laughs> Open Bangkok Bros. has them now. Bangkok has Bros are gone. <laughs> Everybody, uh, please like, subscribe, share our show. Check out Dana, uh, Dapper Villains, and uh, check out his YouTube channel. And Thank uh, you so we'll much, guys. Hopping in and uh, hang out for a second, Dana, and uh, we'll see you all later. Tuning in, everybody. Have a good day.